This is the Podcast Express, and we're talking to whoever's listening out there. Welcome to Five Minutes of Trouble, the only podcast on the internet that discusses the John Carpenter film Big Trouble in Little China, five minutes at a time. I'm Josh Horowitz from the Wing Kong Exchange. Now I'm Brett Stiller, your co-host, Riding Shotgun. And today we have some new great guests on board the Podcast Express. I bring to you James Rodatus and Sid Bridge of the Reels and Wheels podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Oh my God, I am so excited to be here for just this five minutes. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if we're worthy because uh, this has got to be the best five minutes of Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, shut up, James. We are so worthy. My life has built up to this moment, guys. You're worthy. You are worthy. Because if I if I can tell how you guys arrived at the Pork Chop Express today, or, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the Podcast Express today, we, in our rear view, we saw a Pearl Grey Fiero approach, and uh, James and Sid were on the roof. And they actually, you know, pulled up alongside, jumped onto the Podcast Express, and said, hey, can we do your podcast today? And said, yeah, why not? So, <laughs> And if you've ever been on the roof of a Fiero, you know, it is. there's not a lot of real estate up there for two guys to ride into no. a podcast. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a tiny, compact sports car that didn't get appreciated as much uh, as it should have. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I actually uh, first got to meet James and Sid on their uh, Reels and Wheels podcast. They contacted me, not through this podcast, but from just what I've had up on the Wing Kong Exchange, and they, they had me on their show. It was a, had a great time, and an opportunity came up, and uh, this felt that this would be a perfect episode for these guys, because they are Big Trouble fans in addition to car fans, and uh, so... Uh, we're talking about some great minutes, as you mentioned. Uh, these are minutes 85 through 90 of Big Trouble in Little China. And these minutes start with Jack and Gracie running into yet another elevator. And they end with Jack preparing to escape from the approaching storm lightning. But a lot of stuff happens in these minutes, and, uh, and we're going to discuss them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know, from time to time, we have said in the past... This is the best five minutes of the movie. That's the best five minutes of the movie. But I think, in point of fact, this is the best five minutes of the movie. Yeah, certainly very exciting stuff that happens here. Absolutely. Well, and just not not just that. Uh, atmosphere, pace, music, uh, everything times out, and, and and sense of humor. All of it is there, and it's if you watch, if you can only in your entire lifetime watch just five minutes of the movie, that's tragic. But this five minutes is probably the best one to go for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we've we've talked about how people, when they initially saw it, they didn't get it. They were confused and do so well at the box office. If only they could have started here. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so often now in movies, you have the event and then the flashback and then the flashback to the flashback. And then there's a side flash flashback. But maybe if they'd have started here with the kiss. Oh, I'm getting too far ahead of my foot, you know, <laughs> in the elevator. And, you know, movie would have made like. $800 million, but who knows? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, let's let's get to it, gentlemen. Yes, well, we do start out with uh, yet another elevator. Uh, we were sort of saying that it's, it's a recurring theme in this movie. If you were to have a big trouble drinking game, uh, if you were to just count the number of elevators that they, they go into in this movie, you'd probably be drunk by about halfway through the movie. So by this time, this is probably the sixth or seventh. Uh, but uh, one thing yeah. I noticed, uh, if, if you look closely... This is uh, just ha right after when uh, Jack almost got attacked by the Yaren. And if you look carefully, you see that Jack is brandishing his knife very aggressively as the doors close, you know, just, you know, just in case. Yeah. This is also, I think, possibly the only elevator trip in the movie going up. 
That's true. Yeah, they're always going down. Yeah, I didn't yeah. notice that. Yeah, he, he makes a point of saying it too. He's like, oh yeah, you know, where, where are we going? Yeah, we're going up. You know, it's, it's much cooler up there, he says. You know, one one theme, by the way, I would like to have you guys thinking about as we go through these five minutes, uh, and it really it really started right before uh, Jack and Gracie go into the elevator. It's the last time we see the Chang Sings. Um, and uh, and what always what really piqued my interest at about viewing number one hundred and twenty seven was <laughs> um, the Chang Sings don't seem to be dying in this in this final battle that they leave. When when we leave, they're they're winning. Um, we don't see them anymore. Like uh, their fate is kind of up in the air. Um, but um, but we don't see them die either. So th- there's there's a I think a theme here that 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 ticks in that, that Jack is ruining, and that's the eternity of the struggle uh, between good and evil. Yeah, you don't see any more Chang Sing after this. You will see Egg that comes up later. But yeah, the, the fight goes on as you say, Sid. Kind of. Kind of, and we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So then the the elevator does go up. You know, they're heading up to Lopan's office, and we get a moment where Jack notices uh, Gracie's appearance for the first time. You know, he, I guess they're finally able to, you know, take a breather from all the stuff that's been happening, and and uh, you know, he's he's got he's got his great confidence. Uh, Jack yeah. does during this thing. You know, his his sense of bravado is probably uh, turned up a notch, maybe due to the influence of the six demon bag he was taken. Uh, but when Gracie asks him, you know, you know, I hope you have a gun. No, I have a knife. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, what do yeah. you mean? He's, he's 12 feet tall. No, no, he's seven. I took something. Yeah, he's very confident in these, uh, in yeah. these this time. Which is great because he hasn't done anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is like the, the, the glory of this movie. Like he, he knocked himself out for the first half of the fight uh, and spent the rest of it under uh, one of the guards uh, that he had already killed. So um, <laughs> he really has done nothing in the climactic final battle at this point. Yeah. But yeah, th- this is the first time I think, you know, Jack is – He's Jack, or rather, you know, he's tried to create this persona of, you know, the cool, laconic truck driver. And we felt like it's a struggle. You know, how many times has he said a cool line and then he sort of looked the other way and given us a nervous look? And now he really gets to be Jack Burton for the first time. Hmm. Well, you know, and I think, uh, Josh, when you were on our podcast, we discussed that that uh, it seemed like Egg and Wang were trying to do all these things to put Jack at ease before the final battle and let hmm. that come out uh, so that when it finally does come out, he does become the hero. Yeah. 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 No, that that is true. I, yeah. I think so. Yeah. We were talking about on, on that episode when, uh, you know, when they're doing the toast, you know, to the Army and the Navy. I mean, at first I thought that that was more just, you know, maybe Wang is is kind of reflecting a bit more on his Americanism as opposed to, you know, the Asian background. But yeah, Sid, you did mention that, you know, it maybe it's just something to make Jack more at ease, you know, something that he's more in his element if you're talking about American stuff. So yeah, I, I can certainly see that. Mm. I think, you know, overall this scene is, is really great because, you know, it, it can, there's, there's something that, you know, we can learn from this. If there's anything, you know, Hollywood can teach us is no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, there's always time for a kiss. Of course. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Quick, we got to get to a, an escape pod. But first, <laughs> this place is going to blow. But first, <laughs> we've got to face Lopan. But first, mm-hmm. I think that's something we can take from this, is there's always time for a kiss, no matter what's happening. Hmm. There might not be time to wipe the lipstick off your face. Way, but... <laughs> that, in all honesty, that might have been 
one of my favorite moments in this scene. And watch it this time, and I think the last time we watched it for our podcast, it's like he's still got the lipstick on. It looks ridiculous, <laughs> but you're so caught up in the action you don't notice. But then she knows, like Jack, you're about to have your big heroic showdown. Let's make you look right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know they play it so well. You know they they're making out. You can kind of detect maybe there's a hint of the lipstick on them, but otherwise it's your classic Hollywood makeout scene. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, the payoff is second fifty-five. Elevator door opens. Jack kind of slides into the scene, and there's that smear. <laughs> and uh, you know I've said before. I had some trouble getting into this movie initially. I like a lot of people was what's going on. It was, it was challenging my concept of what an action movie was, but right there, second 55, right there. I was in it to win it. That was, that paid for my ticket that paid for all ensuing (laughs) moments. It's not just the best gag in the movie. It's one of the best gags in any movie. Mm -hmm. It points out one of the great conceits in Hollywood. And that's, you know, we're making out her makeup is perfect and I don't get any makeup on me. Never happened to Sean Connery or Roger Moore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I was, I was wondering about that. I mean, Brett, you, you've seen so many movies. I mean, can you think of another movie that does that where you actually see the hero after the kiss and he's got lipstick on? Oh God. Yeah. I mean, I imagine there that's, that's probably a a flub or a glitch somewhere. But Not that's quite. a great point, though. It's it's a Hollywood trope, and and yeah. sure enough, you know, she when he's done kissing her, her her makeup still looks perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another movie that comes to mind is Vertigo. You know, James Stewart rescues Kim Novak from the icy waters of the San Francisco Bay, and he pulls her out. She's soaking wet, but her makeup is perfect. <laughs> she has that, you know, salt waterproof makeup that was so popular in the fifties. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just one of many examples of no matter what happens, her makeup is perfect. <laughs> and again, it doesn't get on him. So, yeah, I mean, other than that, yeah, there's probably some unintentional glitch where uh, a hero has some makeup on, or uh, some lipstick on his teeth. But, <laughs> yeah, I feel this one was was Carpenter and company saying, you know what? How come after every makeout scene, you know, there's there's not a hint of of lipstick or anything like that. So... <laughs> It's perfect, too, for the Jack Burton character. I mean, you know, any other character out there that doesn't have quite the same amount of bravado or self-confidence, you know, I don't, I don't know if it would work as well. But, but this is Jack, and it, it, just, it just seems to fit, you know, for, for all yeah. that he's done. You know, yes, mm-hmm. you know, he gets that kiss, but, you know, he still has his Jack moment where he comes out looking a, a yeah. bit silly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's all choreographed to perfection. I mean, this is his big moment in the movie. This is the one time when he counts the most <laughs> and it's done with this lipstick all over his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not to jump too far ahead, but this is a gag that gets funnier <laughs> because, you know, in a moment we're going to have another Hollywood trope, the final showdown. <laughs> and, you know, there's the whole, you know, we've we meet at last. You know, farewell, Mr. Burton. But this is all done with that smear on his lip. That's right. <laughs> you know, this is the first time I noticed we get to see basically James Hong in a low pan suit. The uh, the glam makeup is gone, oh. and it's just low pan, or rather, yeah, low pan in the flesh. And uh, see him in the flesh. We also hear what a sleazy, creepy guy he is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's kind of 
coaxing Mao Yin, and he just, you know, sounds like a guy he, he should be talking to her over the telephone. <laughs> Come on over. It'll be fun. Yeah. I have an Atari 2600. <laughs> we'll order takeout. Well, you know, it's interesting. There is some dialogue which you kind of hear in the background, which exactly. is not it's not in the screenplay. Uh, I, I have Ooh. a copy of the of the Richter screenplay. And, you know, we've been sort of pointing out areas where you know certain things are there and other things are different. Uh, none of that dialogue seems to be in the screenplay. Uh, Lopan is, is telling Miao Yin how he suffered so much pain and agony. Uh, but Miao Yin is refusing his pleas. She actually says, oh, I don't understand. I don't belong to you. And Lopan replies by saying, you don't. You belong to Xing Tai. And he actually seems to express his love for Miao Yin and regret having to sacrifice her. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's but, what I wanted to hear. Yeah. But but then, yeah. you know, he, he then curses her for her defiance. He's like, oh, yeah, take her. Take, you know, take the bitch. <laughs> yeah. But he he's dealing with uh, with some emotions that he doesn't want to have to deal with. He really does love her. You know, the, the, I think we touched on this a little bit or maybe after the podcast, James and I talked about it, but um, Mao Yin plays it cool throughout the entire movie until this point. She's not, she's not upset at all really until it's looking like she might get killed. Um, hmm. She's playing both sides. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked about that way back in, I think episode three that, you know, Wang's professing his love for Miao Yin, but maybe she just, for her, it's just a, a free airline ticket to America. <laughs> well, I believe I read uh, that Mao Yin uh, translates to cat-like. Yes. Hmm. Mm. Which, you know, which you could take to mean superficially, but, you know, any cat would sell you down the river for, um, for you know, a cozy bed and, uh, and, a, and a steady food supply. Um, mm. Mao Yin, I think, would have been happy being the wife of Lo Pan almost as much as she would have been happy being the wife of, uh, being the wife of Wang Chi. I could, I could see that. Yeah. You know, let's shoot, rule the universe together. I'll get a lot of pillows, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's rich. He's got a demon army. He's got like the whole city block. I mean, he's he's you know, <laughs> look how evil is is Lopan really? I mean, because we're about we're about to get into his death, right? And 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 who's the cause of that death? The interloper, the outsider, the guy who does not understand the dynamics of um of the struggle. Uh, yeah. You know, earlier we talked, we had that conversation between uh, between Egg and uh, and Uncle Chu uh, about how the universe is um, is this balance of positive positive and negative furies, um, and when those furies are out of balance, bad things happen, like Lopan. But Lopan is part of a. A struggle. I mean, if I understand the story right, uh, the emperor who bring China into one country, uh, so he had to take little warlords, guys like Lo Pan, and get them to come on board. He didn't kill him; he subjugated him. He didn't want him dead, right? Mm-hmm. So he he gave him the curse, and and he lived for another thousand years serving this emperor and serving his demon. Mm-hmm. What you know, what this group has done isn't necessarily what they set out to do. Uh, Wang didn't want Lo Pan dead; he wanted his wife back. Uh, so killing Lopan wasn't necessarily the goal here. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting point. Interesting point. You know, to kind of add to that, you know, we've talked in previous episodes about that, you know, some ambiguity to uh, Lopan. I think, you know, primarily from our great performance by James Hong, you know, a good actor mm-hmm. playing a villain will find those moments uh, to show a little pathos or sympathy. You know, when he first gazes upon Mao Yin and he can't touch her and, you you know, there's a moment where you kind of feel sorry for the guy because he's just saying, oh, I just yeah. want to touch you. Why? This sucks. And then, <laughs> you know, we've also talked about him 
you know, not necessarily being a supervillain, but just a beleaguered CEO, you know, mm-hmm. Japanese, nothing works, you know, hitting monitors and stuff like that. So, well, he's the, he, he's the balance in the world of, of good and evil. And the emperor has the control over the good and the evil. Uh, so as long as the evil is kept, cause there's always going to be like the, this idea is a very universal idea. There's always evil. You know, it's kind of like trying to balance peace negotiations in the middle East. There's always a crazy in charge somewhere, but as long mm. as he's, you know, under control and, and, and somewhat harmless, you know, it's, it's, yeah, his people are going to suffer, but you know, not a, so, so yeah, like bad things were happening under Lopan. Like there was a lot of sex trade going on and, and, and some kind of other illicit operations. But other than that, there are just importers and exporters. Hmm. So, so what you're saying is, with the demise of Lo Pan, we'll see sort of a Chinatown version of ISIS come back in like the the Big Trouble in Little China universe. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> certainly that, possible. I suppose that, we we got rid balance. of the the Saddam yeah. Hussein of uh, of Chinatown, and who knows what will rise in that power vacuum. Hmm. Wow, yeah. I could see factions in the Wing Kong and accord the Lords of Death are going to go nuts and do whatever they want and think they're going to rule everything. And, <laughs> you know, we're going to see pearl gray fieros everywhere on every street corner. Well, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I would, no, no, I would no, enjoy. no. If it's a GT model, I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one, one faction that'll benefit is, uh, 1985 Pontiac dealers in San Francisco. That's right. Because it does seem as though uh, the Lords of Death have an affinity for Pontiacs. So, and 1985 Pontiacs were particularly choice Pontiacs. Yeah, <laughs> they're beautiful vehicles, James. Well, I, I'll, I'll give credit where where credit's due. Um, this was the the pre uh, plastic body cladding era, but I I, I do feel compelled. Uh, to remind you, Sid, that for every one Pontiac Fiero GT, there were at least probably 100 Pontiac 6000. So it, it's ah, not going to be all great. There you go again, ruining somebody else's podcast by bringing the Pontiac 6000 <laughs> into it. All right, that was a dark part of American history. You do not need to do that. We're talking about Big Trouble in Little China here, a beautiful movie, the most important parts of the movie. And here you are bringing a Pontiac 6000 little sedan box into it. Two innocent guys, Brett and Josh, here just trying to have some fun, and you got to just mediocre it with your with your. Well, oh. I'll play along. I'll dance with the devil here, James. Yes, it's 1985, 1986. You're a Pontiac dealer, beautiful dealership on Van Ness Street in San Francisco, and a bunch of lords of death come in with sacks of money. Very dangerous but lucrative customers. How are you going to sell them those Pontiac six thousands? Um. <laughs> you're going to bait and switch them. That's what you're going to do. You're going to show them the Fiero and the Firebird, which honestly, given I, I'm just guessing here, Pontiac dealer allocations in the 1980s, you had one or two nice looking sports cars to lure people in. And then you had a bunch of 6,000s to sell them on. And so you get with the gang leaders, you sell them on the Fiero GT, you sell them on the Firebird. And then the gang leader comes up and it's like, what else are my guys going to drive? That horrible GMA body platform that was the Pontiac 6000. And your gang leaders are so enthralled with the Fiero GTV6. They're like, ah, those will do. And that's how you unload all those Pontiac 6000. Oh, man. Yeah. And when those V6s fry their alternators, the Lords of Death will come back to those Pontiac dealerships with vengeance on their mind. I see it now. Every prostitute at the White Tiger gets a Pontiac 6000. 
Oh, no, no. They're getting a Pontiac Sunbird. That's what the prosecutor's <laughs> driving. Now, James, but you're missing, the, you're missing the easy sale here, all right? So you've sold them a Fiero. You've sold them a Trans Am. And you're going for the you're going for the win here. Like you want to you want to sell them a fleet of six thousands. Okay, you want them to be able to do the sex trade all over San Francisco. Uh, so that's when you bring the secretary out, who's running the front of the dealership, and you bring her over to the Fiero. You open up the frunk, and you're like, "Get in, woman!" And she can't because it's too small. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, Lords of Death, as you can see, you cannot stuff a lady into the front of a Fiero. So let's just check out this 6,000 here and just, uh, you know, ma'am, if you could climb into the trunk, please. Um, and, you know, she's <laughs> going to be reluctant. So you're going to have to, like, toss her in the trunk and demonstrate to the Lords of Death how spacious the 6,000's trunk is, perfect um, for this kind of operation until the air suspension in the back collapses right. and you're dragging the ground because you kidnapped too many people. Uh, but it's the perfect car for it. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's an added selling point in your pitch. You say you can get a hostage and your nunchucks and an M16 back there with mm-hmm. room to spare. <laughs> yep. Now, was this was this before – because Pontiac, they never got anything bigger in the 1980s than the 6,000, did they? Bonneville. Oh, that's right. That's right. We we forgot about the, the Bonneville. and still rear-wheel drive at this point, I believe. And this episode of Five Minutes of Trouble is sponsored by Pontiac. (laughs) Pontiac. Bringing the best in 1985 wheels. Well, I mean, both the movie and the brand were driving excitement. So, uh, (laughs) Okay, so where were we in that five minutes of China? Yeah. Yeah. Let's actually stop uh, talking about how horrible Pontiac was back then. That that was a beautiful tangent, though. (laughs) It it was epic, yes. You know, that was just the Pontiac dealer for the Lord's death. That's, (laughs) folks. That's how far we get into this movie. Oh yes. How far do you get in your podcasts? <laughs> since we, you know, since we've been talking about, you know, one of the greatest gags in movie history, something I just thought of when you mentioned the Richter script, is that gag in the script? You know, Jack emerges from elevator with oh. lipstick smeared on his face, or, I mean, is there any mention of that in the script? It's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, I, I was actually going to say that that kiss does not happen in the screenplay. Uh, they they just kind of have a little moment, but they talk to each other. There is no kiss. So I wonder whose idea it was to do that. I'm going to guess that oh. was Carpenter because yeah. it, it just kind of ties into the whole idea about shooting the ceiling and then the ceiling falls on you because that, I don't believe, was in the screenplay either. What if he was pressured to put the kiss in by the studio? That was his needle back at them. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Huh. That that might also be, let's just assume that might be payback for the uh, the prologue that they forced him to put in. Yeah, you know, hey, we want you to do a prologue. What? Uh, you know, ruins the continuity. Blah blah blah. Hey, you know, we also want him to have one more kiss. Oh, okay, fine. You know, so <laughs> that was his ticking bomb. Yeah. Well, it 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 is good, and and then it it kind of moves on to uh, another one of those POV shots uh, as Jack and Gracie enter the room, just like we had before when. You've got that steady cam kind of following the Chang Sing and company as just before they take the medicine. Uh, now we're we're kind of walking into the room along with Jack and Gracie. Uh, you know, we, we see a little bit where Gracie grabs an ornamental spear. And my, my note here was, I don't think she could have actually have done anything with that against Thunder. I don't think anybody could have done anything with that spear. That spear looked highly impractical. <laughs> yeah, it, it looked more decorative than, than yeah. lethal. Yeah. I'm going to stand up for Gracie because if you look at the expression on Kim Cattrall's face, you know, maybe it wasn't the best choice of weapons, but 
you know, she's definitely there to play the game. You know, she looks like, okay, I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines. Uh, yeah, I was a little bummed she didn't get to use the spear against anybody, but at least she was ready. Like, I'm going to back Jack up on this. I ain't going down without a fight. Well, you know, at this point in the movie, Gracie kind of becomes us. Um, she becomes kind of like the, the the rational person observing the action and uh, and just, you know, looking at it with a bit of uh, sarcasm, disdain, do the right thing, do something. So she grabs the first weapon she can she can and just do something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like if you watch her face throughout the scene until we until we get to the, the fight with Thunder, she's she's like, you know, get it right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get more of Jack's bluster, you know, not so fast, he says, which is made even better because he's wearing the lipstick when he says it. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, a a good gag gets funnier. They really roll with it and roll with it. There, and, there's yeah. so much to love in the dialogue here between uh, Lopan's frustration that that Jack's still alive and Thunder not knowing who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Because yeah. at no time did Thund- was Thunder privy to this guy's name, and now you like, like you get the point that like who is this? Guy? Why is he even here? <laughs> yeah. Which is the theme. <laughs> yeah, who are you? Yeah, we get Lopan once more as the beleaguered boss at this point. You know, he's he's just exasperated with the fact that that Jack is even there anymore. You know, he just asks Thunder to kill him for me. And then we get uh, Jack calling Lopan Dave again, which which is great. <laughs> Haven't heard that since the wheelchair scene. Yeah. You know, if if Jack has one superpower, it might be to annoy supervillains. It's that yeah. impervious ego. It's, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, and all, yeah, all that dialogue is great. You know, there's the line about people are dying right and left. It's a little like uh, Shatner's line to Khan hmm. in Wrath of Khan, you know, like a, like a bad marksman, you keep missing the target. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful play on the final confrontation scene. Mm-hmm. It would you be know. like at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, if uh, instead of calling uh, the emperor your highness, if Luke had just said, well, excuse me, Mr. Palpatine, like call him <laughs> Mr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I really want to reshoot that final, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now some some great lines at that point. And then uh, you know, Wang has his dramatic flip entrance to kind of even out the score, along with some really great music at that point. And, and then we get our, our first our first scuffle. We actually get a, a good little sense of what might have happened if Jack decided to just fight against Thunder. Because you actually do see him throw two real meaty punches, which get pretty easily blocked by Thunder. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It was a good you thing Wang showed up when he did. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, it's nice to see them, you know, once again. You know, they really do make a good team. Yeah. Uh even though Jack probably thinks will always think of Wang as a sidekick. It's like seeing the two of them together ready to face Thunder. It's like, yeah, cool. It's on. But, you know, one thing that comes to mind to me, you know, say what you want about Jack Burton. You know, is he a hero? Is he an anti-hero? Is he worth his salt anywhere? I think you just, one thing that comes down, he's just no good at fist fighting. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, we're... We're about to experience Jack's one superpower, which Wang knows about because he was there at the beginning of the movie with the bottle incident mm-hmm. uh, and saw Jack catch the bottle. So he knows that Jack's got a superpower. And what the you know what the potion did was just remove his inhibitions and his and his lack of confidence yes. to not use that superpower. Hmm. So uh, so he knew the potential was there for it to come out. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, 
you know, we we'll, we then see that magic knife come out. Uh, it looks like I, I think he had intended to throw it at Thunder at first, but then when uh, you know Thunder's fighting with Wang and they kind of go off screen, he then turns to Lopan, and we get that slow, methodical wind up, you know, and then Jack throws it. And Lopin barely has to sidestep. I mean, it just doesn't work. It hits the <laughs> gong, and you know that that only punctuates his his ineptitude yeah. at that point. Yeah, it can't just be a miss. It has to be a glaring, obvious miss, and it hits the gong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> add insult to injury, right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. If this were a Dungeons and Dragons game, Jack would have just rolled a one. <laughs> oh, it's a, t- right. it's a total one. <laughs> it's a total one. Unless, if we want to, you know look at conspiracy stuff again was that the knife ensuring that he missed was it the magic knife at work purposely making him miss so that he would be able to use the reflexes that's a good point well i mean that's kind of i was gonna something i was gonna mention in just a minute about yeah about jack's you know his true superpower one of his true superpowers but uh you know, I was just going to say that, you know, that, that's great how Hong looks at the knife, says, nice knife. But, <laughs> you know, gentlemen, if we ever come to a moment where we're facing our potential death, which I hope never happens to any of us, <laughs> don't you want the guy on the other side to address you by your last name and say goodbye? <laughs> goodbye, poets. <laughs> I mean, again, I hope we never get to that. But if you do have that life or death moment, yeah, don't you want a guy in like a dinner jacket to say, you know, hmm. Goodbye, Mr. Stillo. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we all deserve a Bond moment now and then. And Jack, it's a Bond moment. It, it very it much is it a does. Bond moment. Yeah, that was my thought. Yeah, I mean, too. you know, just just would have been really awesome if, if Luke Skywalker had thrown his lightsaber at Darth Vader and, you know, and had gotten a, <laughs> a very good lightsaber. Goodbye, Mr. Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've gotten the respect of your adversary at that point. Yeah, and that's a big deal. That would be funny yeah. if somebody just did a mashup. Somehow they were able to make it so that famous movies all had showdowns in this manner, you know, where they they compliment the weapon and then they throw it and they say goodbye, Mister So and So. I don't know that a, I don't know that a showdown like this has ever been duplicated in another movie, which makes it all the more special. Burton's ineptitude is really the theme, right? Like yeah. that he doesn't really strike a blow at all. Uh, he barely, you know, and, and, and when he does, it's usually by accident. So so you're expecting him to miss when he tosses that knife. You really are. Yeah, uh, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, nothing comes easy in this movie. You know, he, he early on he tried to use the Tech Nine against Lopan for the easy shot, and no, it gets grabbed by Thunder and it gets shattered. And here he tries to yeah. do the easy toss at Lopan, and no, that also misses. Uh, but uh, what I do like in this scene, though, is how you immediately cut to the reaction shots from different characters after this happens. You see mm-hmm. Lopan and Malian; they they both turn and look very disapprovingly at Jack. Uh, I, I had a note here that, you know, this is where the laugh track would go if this were a BTLC sitcom, you know, because you, you, you just love Jack Burton's slow, oh, crap expression. And, and then he slowly turns and even you can see Gracie disapprovingly, you know, the oh, Jack type face. <laughs> just good, good pacing, good, good playing yeah. that part up. Throw in some uh, Three's Company incidental music. Yeah. <laughs> Jack. Um, but Lopan is also overconfident. Yeah, he you know he makes the 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 rookie mistake of releasing Mao Yin to pick the knife up, Hmm. which 
kind of plays into your theory a little bit that maybe maybe he's throwing the knife off base to try and not hit Malian and not hit uh, Lopan might have been on purpose. I, I don't I don't think it was, but uh, but it did get Malian out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a shame if you think about it. You know, he spent two thousand years trying to find that one girl so he could become flesh, only to last maybe a couple of minutes as a human. We're already you know that's trying to what I was it. that's what I was saying here. Not only. Does he only last a couple minutes as a human? But really, his plan is not that horrible. I mean, Gracie Law has been making everybody in Chinatown miserable. Um, <laughs> like he was going to eliminate her and get a, a wife to live out eternity, conquering the world with. Like things were, were really rosy for Lopan and for Chinatown. Like the, the Chinatown economy was pretty good because of him. Oh dear! <laughs> How many people just lost their job? <laughs> Well, a lot, a lot of Wing Kong openings, I can tell you, after all these fights that have mm-hmm. been going on. <laughs> I mean, now now Egg Shen's going to have to, like, deal with interviewing all these ex-Wing Kong guys. Uh, <laughs> import, like, little Chinese lizard legs for him. Like, it's going to be really difficult mm-hmm. for him now. <laughs> or he can make the mistake of disbanding the Wing Kong entirely, and then they would rise up as something even more evil. Oh. ISIS. Exactly. This, is, ISIS this, could, this could go badly. Oh, mm-hmm. Can we get to this the, the great one of the greatest villain deaths in history? Yes. Well, uh, you know, Lopan has his admiration for Jack's knife. He has his bond line. Uh, notice Jack is ready. You know, he he shoves aside the girls and he prepares. He knows what's coming. And with the goodbye, Mister Burton, we get the great catch and throw with a great sound effect too. Uh, with the with the knife uh, thudding into the forehead of Lopan. Uh, and and thus marks one of the best cinematic uh, deaths <laughs> that are out there. Uh, Ever. It even causes an earthquake <laughs> when it's done. Yeah. It's clean. It's fast. It's done. You know. Let's talk about fight scenes today and climactic scenes. Or you know, I was just watching an action flick, which I will not name, featuring an actor named Ryan, and there's a big fight scene at the end with this actor I shall not mention whose name is Ryan but you know it was it was just so cliched it was like five to ten minutes of I punch you you punch me back and forth but the but the but the you know you know we're kind of expecting that at this point even in 1985 86 but it's so sudden and so clean and boom and he's gone Mm -hmm. and you know as an audience we were probably expecting it to go on a little longer and knock down drag out but no it's like you know I think everybody's sort of you know what now yeah, this this kind of reminded me a little bit like the uh, the fight scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark between Indy and the Swordsman. You're expecting this big, long, drawn out thing, but no, he just pulls out yeah. the gun and shoots him. Here, he just grabs the knife and throws it right back, and yeah, it's it's quick really good and effective. Comparison. Yeah, it it, it kind of shocks the audience, and but it's it's a great hero moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think uh, I think Thunder's reaction pretty much sums up the audience reaction too. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, that's coming. <laughs> if if I can make a point here, gentlemen, here's where you fulfill your destiny as guests on this podcast, because I don't know anybody who drives professionally for a living. And I think maybe the key to Jack throughout this movie, you know, we, when he focuses, when he's thinking about it, when he tries to do something, he goofs up, when he just impulsively like grabs that knife and throws it back, bingo, bullseye, zoom. And to me, that says... What's his job? He's a truck driver. He's rolling down the highway. He's listening to Charlie Daniels on the tape cassette or maybe the Coupe de Ville's. And, you know, somebody swerves in front of him. He doesn't have time to think. He just does. 
maybe that's, well, yeah. Hey, he's been saying it since early on. It's all on the reflexes. So, you know, I mean, do you guys know anybody who maybe drives professionally or does race car driving on the side or, you know, I know where a few it's guys who, uh, who are kind of semi-pro actually one uh, guy that we've had on the podcast that we hope to have back is a uh, friend of mine who does, um, movie stunt driving, uh, oh, Chris cool. Allman. And I think when it comes to, you know, and I, I do heavily amateur stuff and, you know, I've got sort of like a mental plan, but that all goes to the back of my mind. And then I just drive. I don't think about it. I just, because what you're doing at that point, you're just feeling what the car is doing with your body and your inner ear and that sort of thing. And you're just reacting to it and following the course. You're not, you don't have a lot of stuff on your mind at that point. So yeah, I think there's something to that. And then Sid and I also do uh, improv comedy. And the first rule of improv comedy is uh, yes and. Well, but the second rule, which is pertinent to uh, to this situation, is don't think. Hmm. And you find your best scenes in improv when you're not thinking about what to do next. You're just reacting. And then you find the, the humor and the fun and that sort of thing. Hmm. So I think there is something to just uh, having to be all in the reflexes. Yeah. And again, I think that's where Jack's he is at his best because mm -hmm. we've, you know, we could go back through the movie and, and think of moments where, oh, yeah, Jack did well on that. And it's usually where, yeah, he's not thinking about it. It's he's just reacting to it. Hmm. We need to have Egg come in and say, Jack, don't think. <laughs> Stop <laughs> thinking, Jack. Use the not thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Egg, Egg, uh, yeah, he's, um, conspicuously absent uh his his multi-century rivalry has just has just been ended for him uh, <laughs> and he didn't get to see it that's right he did not interfere we just don't get enough about where egg's loyalties stand um and where where he was in that picture uh when you know when when everybody was being subjugated to one emperor uh you know i get the feeling that there were a bunch of rival clans um i mean i think this is chinese history that they were actually pulling from and uh and that that now they kind of had to work together to maintain that level of balance so and you you get this feeling that egg and and lopan are friends mm -hmm. um you know when they when they do the little video game struggle uh in the the, the you know like about 10 minutes ago in the movie i guess um that they're they're not really rivals out to kill each other so much although i mean he says that superficially but it seems like he just wants to to just mess with this guy forever hmm. yes that whole ener energy of arch enemies you know hmm. ah we meet again again like in wrath of khan you know kirk you're alive my old friend <laughs> like, wait a minute <laughs> well, you know and again like, like i pointed out before the existence of the struggle brings balance to the universe in this world and once that when that balance is upset something bad's gonna happen uh, which is why at the you know at the end egg says he's going for a long vacation he doesn't say he's retiring he doesn't say he's gonna go off and you know and 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 start a restaurant now he says i'm going to take a vacation because theoretically somebody else is going to pop up much worse now that the balance has been screwed up hmm. that's interesting yeah and we're seeing the balance starting to become unbalanced well oh, that was a beautiful way to phrase it the balance is now unbalanced yeah with that great gag of all the buddhas crashing oh yes good mm -hmm. good segue there yes I, I actually counted 24 buddha statues coming down and i love the fact that the gong is able to keep the dominoes falling so to speak very cool little bit to, uh, yeah. that they do there yeah you know ding dong the witch is dead <laughs> and uh you know we see 
you know, Lopan's world is starting to crumble around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we, we get our great line by Jack, which is a, a callback to the bottle catch, uh, you know, followed by Gracie's disbelief. Uh, though, you know, it's interesting. I, I watched the trailer for this movie not too long ago, and there's a line in the trailer that you don't hear in the movie. And it goes here where, where Gracie says, way to go, Jack. And, you know, I like it better without because because yeah. like yeah, I said, definitely. now Gracie's Gracie's functioning as the viewer here, really. Like mm-hmm. she, you know, she gives him that that look like I can't believe you miss. And then right, you know, right at this point, he gives his all in the reflexes line. And, you know, the first thing she does before he can run off is try to wipe the lipstick off his face. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's the one who's able to uh, <laughs> kind of remind him that he's yeah. got that there. Actually, yeah. uh, before we get to the part with Wang, I wanted to point out uh, a little screenplay difference here because it, it is interesting uh, a different take that they could have gone here. So in in the screenplay, at least the Richter version, uh, Jack never actually reveals what old Jack always says at a time like this because he's interrupted by Gracie who hammers thunder over the head with a vase, which shatters but only serves to distract him. Then Miao Yin is able to get free and attacks thunder with, quote, such ferocity that his head vibrates like a suet punching bag. And then uh, <laughs> at that point, Lopan enters the fray to help thunder and Jack jumps in and gets punched by Lopan. And then there's a tug of war between Wang and Lopan. They're both holding Miao Yin's arms. And in the screenplay, they write, she's about to crack when whammo, Jack's knife in Lopan's forehead. That's really interesting when you compare and contrast what somebody comes up with for the battle on paper. Mm-hmm. And they're writing it out and they're imagining it. And then there's the day when you have to shoot that. And somebody says, well, you know what? It'd be a lot cleaner and simpler if we omit this and cut to the chase, literally. Yeah. Well, um, and you, you, you brought up the, uh, the comparison to the Indiana Jones scene, which ended up um, happening because he had a ridiculously high fever and diarrhea that day. Yes. Um, he was supposed to fight the swordsman, and instead he was like, I'm just going to shoot him. And, uh, and that, that made for a historic scene. So I'm, you know, I'm wondering also, now that you bring it up, like what outside factors are going on as they were filming that made him mm. say, hey, let's not film it this way. Hmm. I think one thing with uh, with the script version, it's more of an ensemble cast at that point. Yeah. You know, all four of them are participating in bringing down Lopan. Whereas in this version, you know, Kurt Russell, who's the star of the movie, he gets to be the star of the movie in this scene. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it was that sort of um, Hollywood thing where, hey, this is our leading man. He's got to have his moment. Yeah, maybe that was a studio influence decision. Yeah. To add to that, I would wonder, you know, they're looking at the dailies and, you know, Russell just had so many great moments and just the way he delivered those lines and finding the right beats. Yeah, that that could have been, you know, just what you said, James. It's it's like, yeah, let's give Kurt a shot at this. You know, he's been nailing everything up to this point. Um, So let's let's try it this way. Yeah, that would also um, explain why uh, why his uh, what old Jack Burton says is is very terse. Uh, you know, up until now, he's got some long story explanation saying that. And here Wang jumps in and it's clear that he doesn't really have something on his mind. Uh, and so he just <laughs> looks at her and he says, what the hell? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they, they realize that that they forgot about Wang. And then we we quickly cut over to the battle between Thunder and Wang. The great hazard of this movie, by the way, is Wang's name, because you just you just said on a podcast that we get the great battle between Thunder and Wang. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about context, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a nice little cut close up, you know, where we get to see Thunder smashing the statue on the table. 
here here's a neat uh, little bit where you know you see the long shot of thunder actually walking up to this statue that's on the pedestal and then you get this close-up shot where he in frustration will shatter that statue i'm, I'm sure there's probably a sequence where they took out the real statue and they put in one that was actually smashable this is a great visual gag totally reminds me of something you've seen in an old warner brothers cartoon um, I wish we could ask James Liu about this last week because, mm. you know, again, you wonder, you know, were they, run, you know, were they behind schedule? Did they have a more elaborate fight plan between Wang and Thunder that would have been a more conventional? Because, you know, I just love this, you know, somebody runs stage right. Yeah. Somebody else follows him. You see, you know, garbage flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get the idea what's going on, but it's a classic kind of cartoon fight. Yes. You don't see it. You hear it. Yeah, it is very Scooby Doo. Yeah, no, the movie goes full cartoon at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. From from there to the conclusion of the you know of, of Thunder's uh, participation, it is full on Warner Brothers cartoon. I think that's a perfect comparison, uh, and and it was it, it looked like it was deliberate to me. Yeah, I can imagine that there were stagehands at this point off screen. They were just having fun throwing furniture left yeah. and right. And the yeah. screams were just hilarious. Like he's, you know, the, like like Thunder just had this perfect voice where everything was just like this loud, you know, it was just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it just it is, and it's a classic setup between you know a small guy who's fast and wiry and squirrely, and you know, and the big, you know, kind of brutish looking guy. Come back here, your ornery rabbit! And bang, <laughs> bang, 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 bang. You know, <laughs> you know, we, that it could have been an eight minute cartoon. <laughs> And you know, Wang's already killed one of the storms, and and that was that was like an epic battle. That was a you know that was a, a flying on wires ballet, uh, which which ended in Wang being victorious. So you know, like he, he knows that I, there there was this kind of this kind of this I'm about to I'm about to poke the worst one now and see what happens, or like kind of an escalating situation where they just get the storms like they're getting worse and worse until he gets a um, lightning. Mm-hmm. But Wang's just running away. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of has to be the case just because of the way that that Thunder is the enemy. I mean, he's a very physical type of well, mini boss, essentially. And yeah. I don't think that Wang can can best him strength for strength. Sort of Wang's super ability is his his agility at this point, uh, you know, and, and his sword play. Another great comparison to the mini boss here, because clearly there was a cheat code that you could use against him. <laughs> <laughs> up, up, down, down. I love right. up, up, down, down. Left, yeah, left, right. Yeah. Left, right, boom, inflate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we, we get to that point because we now see, uh, you know, Jack prepares to face Thunder with the spear, and then Thunder notices that his master has fallen. And some awesome expressions by uh, Carter Wong at this point as Thunder. He looks shocked. He makes this face like he's going to cry. I can see an alternate version of Big Trouble in Little China where suddenly Thunder just breaks down crying and Jack pats him on the back. You know, they're there. They all walk off together. Oh, I would have loved that. that yeah. <laughs> Come on. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I mean, you've got to admit, cause the storms were very awesome. It was very hard to see them die. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you did kind of want them to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let's go buy some dim sum. It's okay. <laughs> Let's yeah, you know, Lopan's gone. You don't have a job. Like, you might as well hang out with the other side now. Like, why do they have to die? He can be a manager of the month at another company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can move on. You know, I, Jack has a knows a guy in a trucking company who needs somebody as a middle management job. But right here, I got a question for you guys, though, about our friend Thunder. And we know what's about to happen to Thunder. And for some reason, in prior viewings, I thought, 
you know, he was doing a kamikaze. Like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take myself out. I, Lopan's dead. I have nothing else to live for. I'll never be a manager of the month again. But let me ask you guys, do you think he's going out in a blaze of glory? Or do you think he's lost his ability to control his power? Like he's going to take out everybody and get his revenge for his fallen master. But when he does his thing, uh, he can't control it. It's a tough question, too, because you know, they, they clearly the reaction from Wang and crew is, you know, I don't think he's going to stop and they run for it. So they, they, they definitely feel endangered by it. But when they get out the room, all you see is like a bunch of guts just fly out of the <laughs> like that, you know, it, reminiscent of that, that that first viral video ever where they blew up the whale carcass on the beach. Like oh. <laughs> you know, the carcass didn't kill anybody, but it certainly inconvenienced a lot of people. So they just really escaped having thunder guts uh, poured all over them. <laughs> yeah, they, they basically avoided smelling bad. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, the the first, like Brett said, the first couple times that I watched, I thought, okay, he's trying to kamikaze move. But when I watched uh, when I watched the clip for today's podcast, I thought what he's going through is just uncontrolled rage at his world crashing down around him, <laughs> and he has no idea what to do, and he just can't cope. He and seems to be the one that spends the most time at Lopan's side. Like you get the idea that maybe, maybe this is what Waylon Smithers would have done if Jack Burton had hit uh, Mr. Burns in the head with a knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, this was his 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 beloved overlord, ruler, mentor. You know, um, he loved him. Yeah, yeah. He might have had the company when Lopan, you know, decided to, uh, uh, you know, just spend time with his wife. So. It All wasn't about the company, down. James. When when he looked at Lopan, the way his hair flowed down his back, the way that mustache just just teased the size of his chin, <laughs> the way that makeup glistened, those fingernails that just grew directly out of the tips of his fingers, like like little gold claws of a monkey, just 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 scratching out at him, just saying, "Hey, Thunder, hey, you know what's under this robe?" Pure David Lopan. That's what's on this rope. <laughs> Pure David Lopan. So the first time all those words have been said together in a sentence. You're Pure welcome. David Lopan. It's beautiful. You know, the moment is like a great reference to, you know, a lot of great, you know, foam latex explosion gross out scenes in movies of the 80s, like uh, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life, Mr. Yes. Creosote going up. And uh, we could yeah. probably think of a... Uh, a bunch of others, but yeah, I think they just had the technology back then to make it uh, a guy blowing up look really cool and gross. So they yeah, did. You it. do need to wonder if if Carpenter, because Car- Carpenter movies are kind of notorious for having some cool, uh, you know, gross out effects in them, and mm-hmm. and he probably set out at the beginning of this thing thinking, I want to have a guy blow up. Hmm. Yeah, I had a note here that that this is a it's a bizarre and wonderful moment. Uh, and my question was, yeah, what other film does this? But I guess that would be it. The meaning of life. I can't think of any other ones where a guy kind of just inflates and explodes. Oh, gosh. Oh, um, License to Kill. Oh, uh, but it wasn't a main villain. It was uh, uh, Sanchez puts uh, one of his henchmen um, in a decompression chamber oh, and rapidly right. decompresses yes. one. Good and one. can we, you know, can we leave out Total Recall here? Uh, oh, yeah, Total Recall. Eyes bulge in that one mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah, that's uh... <laughs> the often overlooked Outland with Sean Connery. I think that was a 
79 or 80. That has a, a great explosive decompression Ooh. mining astronaut blowing up scene in the beginning of the movie that... Uh, oh, I'm going to need to rewatch that one. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just know that one bit. You know, this, the, and a, a great exploding astronaut scene. So, you know, and then there's probably others we're not thinking of. The minute we stop this podcast, <laughs> we'll all go, oh, wait a minute. But, but how many um, are out there with characters that have steam coming out of their nose and ears, like Wiley e. Coyote? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are completely in cartoon land here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, if you're going to have a guy blowing up, have steam coming out of his nostrils and his, uh, <laughs> and his ears. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. And one other thing I'll point out to like, I think we're kind of all like leaning more towards he can't control it. It's out of control. You know, he, at one point we see him pull out the knife as a, you know, on a threatening gesture, his, uh, his storm knife. Yes. Then it's real, it's real quick, but you see it drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, ah, like, you know, whatever has happened, he's, he's lost it. He's out of control. He, he dropped his knife. Yeah. Yeah. His belt too goes down and, and you even yeah. see, uh, you know, his his uh, boots split. He wasn't wearing any socks. <laughs> oh, gross. And there there wasn't a big threat in front of him. Like he had Wang on the ropes, and and you know Burton's standing there, kind of looking not prepared. Um, so it wasn't like he he couldn't have just gone on and and continued fighting. Like he he wanted to go on his own terms. Hmm. And that segues into the gross green explosion uh, that happens ah, yes. off screen, uh, conveniently covered by rubble. You don't have to worry about uh, mm-hmm. stepping over that stuff <laughs> after no. it goes. Yeah, because I think if we isolated that, you know, frame by frame, I think they just took the insides of a couch and, you know, just quickly painted them green and then they just <laughs> hurled them out. It works. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they just do look like, you know, big chunks of green, greasy foam. <laughs> uh, but then again, that's what we want in a movie like this. <laughs> you know, we, we don't need elaborate CGI of, you know, entrails and all that. Just, yeah, pieces of old couch covered in green gore. And <laughs> well, you know, what's particularly amazing here is that we go from, like you said, Warner Brothers cartoon, and as soon as they step out of that room and the and the guts get covered over by rubble, we shift from Warner Brothers cartoon to just extremely awesome action movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we make our transition over to uh, to Lightning's entrance at that point. And I, I just thought it was awesome how lightning will, you know, he calmly walks in, you get that really cool lightning effect, uh, you know, the lighting on the walls, you know, he's, he's zapping the walls, you know, it's, it's awesome stuff. And the music, yeah. I mean, the, we talked before about Carpenter is just, he, he, he does his own music and he, he has mm-hmm. it, he times it perfectly. And this, this one just lays down a rhythm, boom, boom, boom. And then like the, the, the synthesizer pops in with that kind of Asian theme to it. And it's just perfectly timed. It's perfectly, it's, it's the kind of music that you like, you, you almost buy just to have on your own stereo when you walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it, and it just sets this character up perfectly. Who, by the way, I think I read actually was the inspiration for uh raiden in mortal Kombat? yes yes that's true yeah yeah same yeah. look there <laughs> you know what here something i noticed and you know probably overreading it lightning it seems you know he's flashing lightning bolts right and left and there's just one more time that great 80s style blue lightning but is it again is it just me am i am i grieving for thunder but you can't seem to hit him it's like he he seems to have maybe lost his lightning 
abilities or at least his ability to aim better because hmm. he's got the powers but they seem askew and uh, maybe with again without low pan being around to uh control somehow the elementals of the storms uh they're somewhat incapacitated hmm. or am i overthinking no that's interesting lightning seems to be the most powerful of them the only time we ever see him on the road because one time where he tries to hit egg and egg just whips out a fan and just you know, and knocks him on his butt, and he looks surprised. Uh, every other time, he just takes his time, methodically, you know, doing it on his turn, doing everything on his terms. Like, he's just so cool, and he knows he's that cool. He never speaks a word. Um, so, uh, so I, you know, I, I, I noticed that, too. Like, he could have just sent the bolt straight at them, and it, and it is lightning. It probably would have killed them all. Uh, but instead, he chooses to just keep hitting the walls as he gets closer and closer. Yeah, I kind of got the impression that... Uh... That, that lightning, you know, he knows that his boss is dead. He doesn't just want to shock these guys. He wants to get, he wants to make this personal. And that, that, that's why I love how the movie goes from sort of like cartoon land to, oh, wow, the stakes are high again. Even after we've beaten the boss and a mini boss, the mm. hardest mini boss is coming. And this is not going to end well if he catches up to Jack. Yeah, yeah good, uh, good point, good point. Yeah, you know, him shooting the walls does have a purpose. We we kind of see a little glimpse of this. Uh, when If you look near the end, there's there's like an orange bit that's sagging down from the ceiling, and then you see it fall in the background as lightning advances. It turns out that this is actually a sort of a scaled-down version of a sequence when the whole room was supposed to be filling with fire, smoke, and lava. And if you have the Blu-ray, you can actually see one of the extras. There are some storyboards where they show this really elaborate scene where it's basically Jack Burton in hell trying to escape from lightning and all the the fury of of hell to go with it. That would have been kind of awesome to see, actually, because yeah, yeah. The, the him doing the ceiling thing was I, I always caught that and thought, found it to be really just an awesome touch that he ignites the whole ceiling and then just slowly walks away from it as it falls down behind him, yeah. uh, and then he just starts hitting the walls like it's going to do anything on stone. Uh, and the only thing I had for you was that. Uh, urine is more conductive than human skin, so maybe he was trying to scare the piss out of him a little bit, and then, <laughs> you know, just that that'll help conduct the electricity. <laughs> you do you do any screenwriting? Because that that has to be incorporated into a script. <laughs> That's such a great bit, and you know nobody's touched it for various reasons. You know, that you know, I've never been a big urine toucher myself. Uh, yeah, okay, good but, point. <laughs> Well, on that note, uh, gentlemen, that uh, that wraps up our five minutes. Uh, but before we go, I wanted to first just kind of ask you guys, uh, James and Sid, uh, what, what's your experience seeing Big Trouble in Little China? When when was the first time you guys remember seeing it? Um, so I'll probably start because I'm the one that dragged James into watching this movie for the podcast. <laughs> um, but but this goes back to when I was 12 or 13. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I saw it back then and just, uh, and have watched it countless times It is uh, the one movie that is saved on my iPhone. Um, so, and I've, I've, um, with my kids, I, uh, always have brought them in when I feel they're the appropriate age to fully appreciate it. Um, and I am an evangelist for this movie. If I know somebody who hasn't seen it and does not understand its greatness, I will wear them down until they do. <laughs> and what about you, James? Well, I didn't see it in the theater. I'm a little younger than uh, than Sid, but my experience, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. I saw a scene of it. I don't know if it was this particular five minutes, but I saw part of the movie on like a UHF station 
when I was probably late elementary, early middle school. And I just caught like five minutes of it. It cuts to commercial. I have to go somewhere or something like like that. And I think, oh, man, I have got to see this movie again. (laughs) And this will definitely show my age here. I looked in a TV paper. Remember those? Mm -hmm. Saw what the name of the movie was and then tried to find out when it was playing again. And like probably, you know, ditched friends or homework or whatever. When I saw it was coming on like Channel 46, (laughs) I would uh, I would go and watch it commercial breaks and all. And uh, then I would just kind of make a point to watch it like whenever it came on like USA or TNT. Hmm. And it just kind of stayed with me. And then uh, when we started doing the podcast, I thought, well, this is not in my collection and I need to correct that. And now it is in my collection and I absolutely love it. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own podcast about uh, Reels and Wheels? Sure. Uh, so James and I have been dreaming of doing this. We were stand-up comics, and we were both uh, were in Norfolk. James is in, in Atlanta now. Uh, but uh, we both love cars, and we, we both love comedy, and we both love movies. Um, and uh, and we wanted to do this for a while, and somebody finally, uh, a friend of ours, Tobias, finally pushed us off the couch, basically, and helped set us up uh, with uh, with going through movies and just talking about the cars and talking and we have a very niche audience but uh but a very devoted audience uh because we were such a specialized product but it's so fun to just like take a movie and look at its cars and draw unnecessary metaphors between them and the characters yeah and sometimes we just go off on tangents talking about pontiac fieros which we could talk about for hours <laughs> uh we gotta we got it do you guys do you have to find more movies that feature uh, prominently feature uh fieros we did Ferris Bueller. If you listen to our Ferris Bueller podcast, it's one of our top rated ones, and, and the Fiero is uh, is quite featured in that one. Oh, okay. I got to check out Ferris Bueller again. Fiero Bueller. Um, <laughs> I'd forgotten that there were any uh, Fiero references in that one, but uh, but yeah, oh, yeah, I got a you know I've heard your guys' podcast. You know, I definitely loved uh, the episode you were on, Josh, and I've become a big fan. You guys, it's great what you guys do. And, you know, when you talk about movies, you got to talk about cars inevitably. They've been there, you know, since the Keystone Cops days. You know, the funny thing is what people always say to us is, are you going to have enough movies? How long are you able to do this podcast? You have no idea. Cars are ubiquitous, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie about a car. Not, you know, it doesn't have to all be bullet, but mm-hmm. uh, but we find – I mean one of the first podcasts we did was RoboCop because I wanted to talk about the cop cars in that movie. Um, so, uh, so it's really – you know, it's easier than you think to pull out movies, and we've got – We've got tons of them in the hopper just waiting. Yeah, we haven't done Grand Prix yet, mainly because I think that would involve recording what will essentially be an audio book. But uh, (laughs) yeah, there's all kinds of movies. You know, in some movies, they're central, like in Mad Max and Ferris Bueller. And in some, like our Christmas podcast, Gremlins, we basically just talked about how the Volkswagen Beetle is important to that movie. Why? Because like most Volkswagens, it doesn't start when you need it to. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that there I, actually is a, an internet movie database for cars that you guys seem to realize. There is, oh, yes. there is, yeah, it has bailed us out many times. <laughs> yeah, no neat stuff. It's it's what uh, it's what put us onto the Fiero and Big Trouble in Little China. That's right. <laughs> well, that uh, that does pretty much wrap up this episode. Please visit us at five minutes of trouble dot com. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at five minutes of trouble. And a Twitter at Five Minutes Trouble. We also have a truck stop on Facebook, uh, the Five Minutes of Trouble Truck Stop. So please join that and continue the conversation. And if you can, please tell your friends about this podcast. Give us a nice rating on iTunes. 
And I uh, want to also give a shout out to some of the other Movies by Minutes podcasts out there. You can check them out at moviesbyminutes.com. Uh, so James and Sid, thank you guys both for really, uh, you know, bringing some really cool insights and conversations, uh, to, to us and Big Drum Little China. And, and, uh, thanks for, for having me on your show. And I'm, I'm glad that we could have you on, on ours as well. Thanks. This has been awesome. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Absolute blast. You guys, before we go, as we're rolling down highway 99 here, either you guys want to take the wheel of, uh, the podcast express. Come on, James, you know, you want to. <laughs> yeah. What I can do, Josh, you hop out of the driver's seat. I'll hold the wheel. It's the Podcast Express, signing off. Tune in next week for another five minutes of trouble. Uh, uh, uh.